You know, as I thought about this Sunday, we typically look pretty well in advance in what we're going to be preaching and planning, and we had planned to look at Mark chapter 16, going to a gospel, to look at the resurrection narrative from the end of Mark this morning. And uh, along the way, things happen. And when we considered where we were in the book of Romans, it was quite providential that we were in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I couldn't help but think of the hope that we find in this section of verses as we consider what the Lord inspired Paul to write. And so this morning, instead of Mark, we're going to continue in Romans. We're going to look at Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. Let's pray as we begin our time together. Lord, we thank you for your inspired word and we thank you for your Holy Spirit we thank you for the truth the rock the sure foundation that we have even in a world that seems so out of control father we as believers Believers, by your grace and your grace alone, we have been given something that is sure and certain, guaranteed even through the resurrection of our King. So Lord, today would you bring us truth to bear upon our lives? Would you give us certainty in the midst of chaos? Would you give us hope when it seems that despair is just around the corner? Lord, would you speak your word deep into our lives? And Father, would that continue to be that foundation that is built upon which we can stand in the difficulties and pains of this world for your glory? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you think about suffering, suffering challenges even the most committed believer. Just think of the disciples as they face the arrest, the betrayal, arrest, and death of Jesus. Think about that. These Disciples, these followers of Jesus had spent the last three years with him, walking with him. They had seen him heal people. They had seen him raise the dead. They had seen him cast out demons. They had seen him calm the seas. Walked with him. Heard him teach. And in just a few brief moments, when Jesus was betrayed and arrested, they fled, and they scattered, and they cowered in fear, even as their Savior died. And even after his death, there they were, not at the tomb for a resurrection party, they were afraid, they were struggling, they were fearful, they were in the very place they shouldn't have been. I mean, he had even told them that he was going to die and on the third day be raised. Not just once, multiple times he had told them. And yet they still were cut to the core. They still were afraid. They still had seemed as if hope had been lost. Brothers and sisters, I just ask you this morning, how do you handle suffering? I want you to think about your answer for a moment. Just don't flippantly answer that. Don't, don't answer that even in the way that you know you're supposed to answer it. How do you handle suffering? 
when faced with overwhelming circumstances, do you just endure it? Do you just grow more bitter and cynical? You grow numb? Has the disappointment that you've experienced time after time after time again produced you a growing, produced in you a growing hardness towards God? Do you find yourselves at odds with God, feeling abandoned, betrayed, deserted? Brothers and sisters, what do you think about your suffering? Well, the Lord wants us to think rightly about it. And what better person for the Lord to inspire to write on that very subject than the Apostle Paul? A man who had endured much suffering, much pain, and much turmoil in his life. I want to read from Romans 8, beginning in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Here's what Paul says. Church, you're going to suffer and it's worth it. It's worth it because the hope of future glory outweighs all of the present sufferings that we endure and encounter in this life. Now let that settle for a moment. It's what Paul says. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing. Really, Paul? You're telling me that that diagnosis Another tragic school shooting, another murder, another innumerable injustices that we face in this life. You're telling me these things aren't worth it? That they don't matter? And this is not something to easily just throw out at people who are in the midst of suffering. And yet, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit wants us to believe. And not just believe it, but cling to it with every ounce of our being. Friends, there will be times in your life, there, there have been times, there will be times. If it hasn't happened yet, it will. There will be times in your life where you will want to throw in the towel and say, Lord, I give up, it is not worth it. It's not worth it. There'll be times when the suffering and the pressure and the disappointment and the brokenness and the grief are so weighty that you will even begin to wonder if all this trusting in Jesus stuff is, is really worth my time. After all, the more I trust in him, it seems the more things go bad. I mean, is it really worth it? Is this just a joke? Is this just, just this false sense of assurance? You're trying to throw out to us here, Paul? Are you just telling me to, to suck it up and deal with life? And so Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, 
every bit of your suffering is absolutely worth it. Our present sufferings are real. They are weighty. They are overwhelming. They are gut-wrenching. But Paul says our future glory infinitely greater. Infinitely greater. Brothers and sisters, you need to believe this. You, you need to believe this. If you don't believe this, I, we don't have anything to give you. Go eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. You need this. This will make all the difference in the world to you, no matter what you may encounter and go through in this life. Romans 8, 18 through 25, these verses were written to help us endure the suffering in this present time as we cast our gaze on our future glory and eagerly wait for that day. He said in verse 17, saw this several weeks ago, Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Sounds good, right? Provided, provided we suffer with him. In order that, we may also be glorified with him. You want to be glorified? Glorify, being glorified, the the, the end result of our salvation when we are given new bodies, transformed to be like Christ, conformed to his image, that pathway includes the pathway of suffering. Suffering of this present, what, what, what suffering? Verse 18, the sufferings of this present time. What sufferings are those? All of them. So what we see here in verse 18, what Paul is doing in verses 18 down through verse 20, really all the way to the end of the chapter, but what he's doing is he's propping up what he said in verse 17. He's, he's propping that up and he's showing how we go about this suffering with Christ. Well, then how do we know how, how can we believe verse 18? That's really the question I want to answer the rest of our time together today. How, how can we believe verse 18? Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Future glory, greater, more weighty, more significant, not even worth comparing to the countless struggles and sufferings of this present time. How am I to believe that? Well, you could say, well, because the Holy Spirit told Paul to write it in verse 18. Well, that's true. That's true. But what he does, God is gracious, and he goes on to give us further reasons why we should believe verse 18. Why it is verse 18 is true. And that's the two things that I want to look, at you, look with you uh, at this morning from the rest of our time together in this passage. Two reasons why we can know this future glory is infinitely greater than our present sufferings. Two proofs. Proof number one, the reality of cosmic groaning. Now that's not a phrase you use every day, is it? Cosmic groaning. What? Look at what Paul writes after verse 18. Again, you see these many fours. Four can often be translated because, and so Paul's just propping up argument after argument with another argument. And so he's, he's demonstrating why, verse 18 is true, why we can believe this and why we can think this way and live this way. Look at verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing. What is the creation? Well, it's the created world. The, the, we, in this context, we need to think about the creation as being the, the non-human aspect of creation. The mountains, the trees, the dirt, the animals, the rivers, that part of creation. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation, the whole creation has been groaning. The word groan is just this deep inward sigh. Has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Creation waits, we're told, with eager longing. This, this, this eager expectation. That idea has the, it has this idea of a person kind of stretching his or her neck, looking down maybe like a street for a parade as you're waiting for the parade to make its way down. It's just this expectation of something that is to come. I want us to consider several things about this cosmic or this, this creation that, that groans. Number one, the reason for its groaning. We see this in verse 20. We're told the creation was subjected to futility. It was frustrated, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Who's him? The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. That's God who subjected the creation to frustration and futility. Well, why did he do that? Well, you have to go back to Genesis chapter 3, and we begin reading in verse 17 of Genesis 3. This is immediately after Adam and Eve had fallen into sin in the garden. They'd rebelled against God's word, chose to eat of the forbidden tree, and now they are hearing the, 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 the judgment that's coming down upon them for their disobedience. Verse 17 of chapter 3, And to Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it, Cursed is the ground because of you. Creation's frustrated. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you were dust and to dust you shall return. You see, the reason that creation has been frustrated, the reason it was subjected to futility by God was due to the reality of human sin, the rebellion of man against his creator. The sin of Adam and Eve in the garden is the cause of creation's present bondage. You want to know why the world doesn't work like it ought to? Look in the mirror. Sin came into the world. Man failed to live up to God's command. And because of this failure, creation has been frustrated. Now in decay, in bondage. That's the reason. We go on and on about that, but that's, that's the reason. Verse 20, this was not creation's choice. This was the doing of humanity and the rebellion against God, and God frustrates. God subjected the creation, not willingly. Creation's willingness, but because of him who subjected it. God did this as an act of judgment because of the rebellion of humanity. But I want you to notice not only the reason for its groaning, I want you to notice the extent of its groaning. Notice that there is a starting point and an ending point to this frustration. God subjected it. There was a point in time in the past where this, frustration, this frustrated creation happened. But there's going to be a point in the future where it will no longer be the case. Right? You see that there? Obtain the freedom of the glory of God. Verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free. Some point in the past, it was subjected to the futility. It was frustrated. At some point in the future, it will be set free. So there is a limited scope, but this, this, this scope of frustration has been with us, has spanned really the entire course of human history. Listen, you and I are not the first ones to have experienced a frustrated creation. Sometimes I think that we're like turning around and we're looking around and we're like, 
you know, man, I wish I could have lived in the 1500s, really? Just pick your dates. All of history has experienced this groan from creation for its own liberation. I mean, just look around and you can see the bondage to decay. Disease, famines, floods, all kinds of natural disasters. Some people wrongly assert that those are the, the, the doing of Satan. That is not true. God is sovereign over his creation. This is a reality of a frustrated and subjected to frustration, subjected to futility. This is the, res- this is the, the reality of a, a cursed world. Droughts. All, I mean, just on and on we could go. Again, these are not merely a series of random events that just happen to happen in this world, but they are the effect of God's judicial response to our rebellion against him. It's a broken world. And it's been that way since Adam and Eve, and it will be that way until Christ comes again and makes all things new. So you've seen the reason, you've seen the extent. It spans the entirety of human history. But I want you to also see the nature of this groaning. Paul explains creation's groaning in several ways. He says it waits with eager longing. In hope, it has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So this creation that groans, and I know you're like, how does creation groan? Well, I think you can see kind of Paul's using some personification here to, to explain this reality. But, but, I mean, just think about it. You can even see it right now, can't you? Just as the, as the buds are trying to come out on the trees, they're just longing to be beautiful, right? They're, they're longing for that that hope of springtime, which is a great picture of the resurrection and our future hope. But all it takes is another frost, and there they go the buds, right? That's why I'm convinced it'll never be cold on the new heavens and new earth. This is not a despairing cry. This is not a despairing, oh, what will we do kind of longing. It is a waiting on the inevitable. It is a hope-filled cry. It is a hope-filled groan. Just as there was a beginning to this suffering and bondage, so there will be an end. He says this groan is like the groan of childbirth. We've had a lot of that going on here lately. And if you're in a hospital and you hear somebody cry out, it makes all the difference in the world if you're standing in the maternity ward versus the cancer ward, doesn't it? You see, pain hurts, but it's different when you know that that pain will result in life and not death. While there is pain at the moment, this pain points to the imminent arrival of a new life and new joys to be known forever. See, creation doesn't function properly right now. But there's coming a day when there will be a new heavens and a new earth and we will be acting like we should have been all along, alongside of our Savior, stewarding the world forever. You know, sometimes... You know, as a kid, I used to think, well, heaven sounds pretty boring. I think I'm good for now, all right? I want to go there. I think it's good. But, you know, I had this image of just being kind of perched on a cloud for a long time. Because that's not heaven. Listen, if you're a kid or maybe middle school, high school, and you're like, ugh, I've got a life to live. Listen, heaven is going to be, it's going to blow your mind. New heavens, new earth. Just think about this world perfect. Perfect. No sin. You know, we all go to Solomon's, right? And we want to watch the sunset and get our pictures of the nice sunset like everybody else in Southern Maryland does, right? Beautiful, isn't it? It's a beautiful sunset. Listen, that's a broken sunset. It's broken. Can you imagine what that's going to be in the new heavens and new earth? Can you imagine what new earth sunsets are going to look like? 
guess what? The sun's not going to set. There will be no sun. But can you imagine the beauty? I mean, that, that, it's, it's amazing. It's breathtaking, isn't it? And it's broken. It's in bondage to decay. It's crying out. It's awaiting the redemption of the sons of God. Friends, there's a day in the future when all that is broken will be made new. All that is disordered will be restored. And what we're being told here is that Paul is saying, listen, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's to be revealed to us. And one of the reasons we know that's true is because creation longs for that day. Creation longs for that day. Which leads me to the second point I want us to see and then see how these tie together. Not only do you have a cosmic groaning, you have a Christian groaning. As another piece of proof, and brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, you know exactly what I'm talking about. A Christian's groaning. But not only does the creation groan, but so do we. Verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. Several things about this groan. Number one, the source of this groan. The Christian life, think about the Christian life. I mean, the Christian life is filled with so many different kinds of emotions, right? I mean, there are many days where we are just blessed beyond measure. Every day we're blessed beyond measure. Every breath you take is yet another blessing from God. But there there are things where we just see blessings showering down upon us every day, and we're walking in thanksgiving, giving thanks in all circumstances, and we're rejoicing in the Lord. And there's these, these, these true spirit-given emotions that well up in us. I mean, when you're singing these songs and you feel that surge of, of hope and joy, I mean, that just, you just didn't stir that up in you. I mean, we have those experiences, don't we? On the one hand, we live with gratitude and thanksgiving for the present blessings we enjoy, but on the other hand, there is an ever-increasing frustration over the bondage of this creation. And our struggle with sin. So in one breath we rejoice and in the next breath we're groaning. But the source of this inward groan is made clear. We are cells who have the first fruits of the Spirit. First fruits refers to many things in the Bible, but typically highlighted something that was a special offering or dedication to the Lord. Sometimes the first of a harvest or the best of a harvest offering. Here, in reference to the Holy Spirit, it highlights the special role that the Holy Spirit serves in the life of a believer as we await the fullness of our salvation. So the Holy Spirit is the source of that inward longing. And so when you're going through a time of suffering and disappointment and despair, and hopefully it's not despair, but you're, you're starting to feel that, that, that just welling up in you, and you have that longing of, Lord, for, I long for that day. I want that day to come when this is no more. You didn't just make that up. The Holy Spirit does that in you. The source of our groan is the Spirit, but I want you to notice the nature of our groan. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. It's an inward groan. As we wait eagerly. It's an inward, patient anticipation. There's an anticipation of something more and something greater. You know that as a Christian, don't you? As a Christian, you know that this isn't it. This is not it. Something awaits us that is infinitely greater. You know, like, a, again, we're waiting, and it's this idea, you know, when you're at a wedding, Everybody's waiting on the bride, right? Forget the groom. 
We're waiting on the bride. And everybody, every now and then, you'll hear a door creak open. Everybody looks, right? Is, that, is this the time? It's kind of like the Christian, right? So we're waiting the coming of our king. See, in a world marred by sin and brokenness, a world that is marked by bondage to decay, a world that is subjected to futility, we all groan. But the Christian's groaning is different than others. It's a different groan. It's not a cry of despair and defeat. It may be a cry of pain and agony, a cry of disappointment and brokenness. It may be a cry that's filled with all of those things, but it is not a cry of despair and defeat. It is, it is a cry filled with hope. So when the doctor comes in and says, you've got six months, Christians groan, but different than a non-Christian. Parents have to bury their children because of a tragic event. They groan, but a Christian groans with hope. We experience natural disasters and flooding or hurricanes or tornadoes rip through homes. Christians groan at loss, but their groan is different. A Christian is faced with injustice. He or she groans, but not without hope. When you sin yet again, you fall short of the glory of God yet again, you groan inwardly, don't you? That's Romans 7, 24, groan. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, we all groan, but Christians have a different kind of groaning. It's an inward, patient anticipation of what is to come. Our groaning is marked by this eager anticipation of something more, but I want you to notice the object of our groan because the nature of our groan won't make sense without having this. We groan inwardly as we wait patiently, but for what? Notice what he says. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. By the way, this is the same thing that creation is longing for. Did you see that? Verse 21, creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain, not what you expect, the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We're waiting eagerly for our adoption of sons. And you may think, well, Pastor, didn't we just preach on adoption? Haven't we already been adopted? Yes. This is this reality of the already and not yet coming to fruition yet again. As God's people, if you have placed your hope and faith in Jesus Christ, you have been adopted into the family of God. But that adoption, while legally a reality, is yet awaiting its final culmination in glorified bodies. That's why he says, we groan inwardly as we wait patiently for adoption as sons. And then he explains what he means by that, the redemption of our bodies. So the glory that Paul references in 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, is the glory of redeemed bodies that would be glorified. And next week, you're going to see how God guarantees how that's going to happen. That's what we're hoping for. That's what we're longing for, glorification. Now, he says, look at this, verse 23, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope, what hope? The redemption of our bodies, our adoption as sons, we were saved. In this hope you were saved. Now, you could, this could be a little dangerous if you're not careful. 
So Paul is saying the thing that we and creation groan for is our redeemed bodies, our new bodies. Yes, that's what he's saying. You may think, well, doesn't that sound a bit selfish? Doesn't that center our longing and our expectation and our anticipation on us, not on God? Well, it could if you're not careful. But you need to understand that part of God's plan And the way that we will ultimately glorify him is by him doing what he's going to say later, conforming us to the image of his son. Your future glorification, redeemed bodies, perfected bodies, just bodies that are perfect. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but let me just tell you, you don't have them yet, all right? You you don't have one of these yet. If you're doubting that, just ask someone, they'll let you know. You don't have a glorified, redeemed body yet. That's coming. But one of the ways that we will glorify God is through perfected bodies where we live all of eternity on the new earth with these glorified bodies praising God forever. Romans 12, 1, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. In future glory, that will be perfectly holy and acceptable bodies. So part of having renewed and redeemed bodies is so that, it's so the purpose of having bodies so that we can bring glory and praise to God. Now, we've seen Paul's argument. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing the glory that is to be revealed to us. So present suffering, no matter how great, no matter how horrible, no matter how gut-wrenching, it's not worth comparing to future glory because it's so much greater, infinitely more glorious. You say, this is all good, Pastor, but isn't this Easter? Glad Pastor Jeremy read a passage on the resurrection. Isn't this Easter? Yes, it's Easter. Brothers and sisters, the hope that we're talking about has everything to do with the resurrection. And I don't just make that up to make it fit. I want you to look at Romans 8, verses 10 and 11. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin... The Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. He's already told us what He's explaining here. He's just saying that the resurrected Christ is the guarantee that you too, brothers and sisters, will one day be be raised. That your mortal bodies, that that the sufferings you're presently encountering and struggling with right now, not worth comparing to what you're going to have as you get redeemed bodies one day. And how do you know that's going to happen? Because he's raised Christ from the dead as a guarantee that that will happen to you. Paul says the road to future glory includes suffering, yet we should not compare our present sufferings to our future glory. Glory that results in the redemption of our bodies. And Jesus' resurrection is the very thing that secures that future glorification. Another passage that's very similar to this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul wrote both letters, and so I'm sure he was borrowing from himself here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed... And so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God, so, so we don't lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. Then notice what he says. For this slight momentary affliction. 
Romans 8, present sufferings. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, where the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We inwardly and patiently groan for the redemption of our bodies. And Paul says, for in this hope, we were saved. Brothers and sisters, hope is not some kind of wishful thinking. I hope we have a good day today. I hope it's a nice day. I hope, I hope, I hope. We use hope so, we misuse that word. Hope, biblically speaking, is confidence, certainty. It is a faith built upon certainty, knowing that the very one that's promised you something will bring it to pass. Reading through Joshua this past week, several times there in Joshua and then Judges, not one of the promises of God failed. For God did what he had promised. It's exactly what God does. He keeps his promises. He does exactly what he's going to he does exactly as he said. Friends, we are inwardly and patiently groaning for this redemption in hope. Remember, creation was subjected to futility, but notice what he said there in verse 20 at the end. In hope. Creation was subjected in hope. Christians are saved in hope. Hope of a future that will be so stunning, so staggeringly amazing. So breathtaking that our present sufferings will be nothing more than a slight momentary affliction. A little cut on the finger. Friend, you may be here today and you may hear this and you may think, wow, this is, this is helpful. But I don't have this kind of hope. I don't have this kind of confidence and assurance that you're talking about today. I believe in God, I try to be a good person, think Jesus is a good guy. I don't know exactly what you're talking about. Friend, listen, the hope that we're talking about is for people just like you. The, the, the world, we're told, was subjected to futility because God subjected it that way as a response to our rebellion against him. Listen, and because of this rebellion against God, we who have failed him, we who have broken his commandments, which is all of us, we who have fallen short of the glory of God through our sin, we have all been part of this subjection to futility. And listen, if you continue in persisting in your own sin and you continue to persist in the life that you currently live, not only will you be subjected to futility and frustration now, but you will be cast into eternal suffering forever. The final judgment comes. And you say, well, that sounds a little strong. Friend, we realize, we need to realize who it is that we, who it is that we're talking about. We're talking about the creator of the universe. The one who is holy and righteous and good. The one who made all things and through whom all things hold together. The one who gives you your very next breath. And yet, we use that breath many times to spurn the name of God. Listen, God loved this world so much that He willingly, after willingly subjecting it to frustration, God willingly sent His Son into this world a world marked by bondage to decay. And he lived a perfect life. Surrounded by chaos and disorder and sin and sadness. Jesus lived a life of perfection and obedience to his father and yet was betrayed. Arrested. 
and crucified on a cross. Shed his blood so that your sins could be forgiven. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. God gave a sacrifice. You don't even have to come up with the sacrifice. You don't have to say, okay, I want to go to heaven. What do I need to do? Nothing. It's been done for you. You need to receive it in faith. Turn from your sins and trust in the Savior. That is your response. Believe Christ. Put your hope and your trust in Him and not yourself. And you'll receive adoption. And you'll have this promise that we all speak of this morning. This redemption. As this hope has been given to those who believe. And this, co- this hope is a confidence in something we do not yet see. When you look around the room, you're not going to see redeemed bodies yet. You're going to see plenty of people who know the reality of redemption and salvation and hope. But we still await that day when all will be made new. Remember 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing, it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Brothers and sisters, our lives are continually marred by the bondage this creation experiences. We all suffer to one degree or another in this life. And yet we are called to consider the present sufferings is not worth comparing to our future glory. So when the sufferings of this present time come crashing down upon us, when death suddenly surrounds us, when the world seems to be spinning out of control in utter chaos, when sin continues to wreak havoc in our bodies and souls, we remain hopeful and we wait and we groan and we endure And with eagerness, we anticipate what Christ has promised to bring. Friend, if you don't have that hope, God offers it freely through his Son. If you would respond to him today in faith and repentance. He endured the greatest of all suffering, so that all the suffering you will ever know in this life would be nothing but slight and momentary. He endured the sufferings of this present time and ultimately the suffering upon a cross so that you would not have to endure eternal suffering and judgment. If you'd simply trust in him and follow him. And fellow believers know this, as we all suffer to one degree or another, we will experience things in this life many times that will cut us to the core. And we won't have an answer. But there's coming a day when all will be well. In Revelation chapter 21, we read about that day. As John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. We have hope.
because God has promised. Let's live in that hope and consider the sufferings of this present time. These slight momentary afflictions as not worth comparing to that future glory that we have awaiting us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the hope that's ours in Jesus Christ. Lord, it's my prayer that as we hear this word today that we would be reminded, that we would be encouraged, that we would be strengthened, that we would be sustained, that we would be comforted. Father, perhaps where some have been despairing that there would be hope. Father, this is a great word of assurance. So Lord, would you help it not just be mere words that go in our ears and right out. But Father, that we would stake our very life on these promises. That we would live through these present sufferings, enduring them, struggling and suffering and grieving and groaning, but in hope and with confidence that our amazing Savior, by His grace, has saved us. And the good work began in us will be brought to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray today that we would all leave here today knowing this hope, clinging to this hope, rejoicing in this hope. Father, would you move upon our hearts to cling to this truth today? And Lord, it may be that there are those who are here that they, they've not yet put their hope and trust in Christ, Lord, would you move upon them and, Lord, effectually call them to yourself today. Open their eyes and help them to see the beauty of Christ and that their only hope is to be found in Him, not in the things of this world, not in their own goodness or attempts to be good, but, Lord, in clinging to an all-sufficient Savior. Father, we thank you for this great hope that's ours through Christ our Lord, our risen King. In his name we pray.